Well, hey, welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I'm your host, and I am here with Reverend Karen Kraska. Hello. And we're going to ask the question, what happened after Jesus's resurrection? Uh, by the way, happy Easter, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> happy Easter, everyone. Uh, Jesus is risen. The resurrection has happened. And now what? Uh I think that sometimes in the church, we are guilty of, we do this big lead up to Easter and during Lent, we're going through um, all the stories of Jesus's ministry. And then Holy Week, we have all of these services leading up to Easter Sunday. Then Easter happens, we have this big celebration and we're like, okay, next. It's done. Yeah, we did it. (laughs) And uh, sometimes it can feel anticlimactic of um, we have just spent 40, more than 40 days Mm -hmm. leading up to this moment. And it's done in, for some people, an hour on a Sunday morning. Um, So I kind of want to talk about what happened after the resurrection, because honestly, it wasn't until I was in adulthood in Bible study that I ever read past the resurrection in the gospels. Mm. Um, I had no idea that I knew that Jesus revealed himself to like the women in the garden, to Mary Magdalene, to the disciples, whatever. But it's all of these stories leading up to uh, Christ revealing himself after the resurrection, leading up to Christ's ascension. And so I really want us to get a better understanding of some of these stories that we don't talk about as often in church post-Easter, and also the timeline of these things happening. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think that it's a really interesting conversation, but The first thing I want to talk about is Easter itself. So we think of Easter as Easter Sunday, but in the liturgical tradition, Easter is actually a season, not a day. So could you tell me how long is the season of Easter and when does it begin and when does it end? Sure. In the in the liturgical calendar uh, that we recognize as Protestants, we kind of put things in uh, time frames like Advent, the season of preparation before Christmas. And then um, we have Epiphany. We have the season of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter. Easter tide or the season of Easter actually be- begins on Easter Eve. So Saturday evening, of, of Easter, you know, weekend begins the season of Easter tide, and it actually goes until Pentecost. That is our next liturgical se- season, where we we celebrate uh, the um, the Holy Spirit's present in the book of presence in the book of Acts. So it's about fifty days of Easter. Tide. So that is the season we're about Are to you embark in. Tide, as in like T-I-D-E. tidal wave. Tide. Tide. Yes. Okay. Easter tide. Yes. Okay. What are some of the faith traditions around the season of Easter? Not just within the United Methodist tradition, but other faith traditions. Are there like specific ways that we celebrate these fifty days? You know, I, I, when you kind of. Uh, intimated that you might ask this question. I did a little digging because I thought, yeah, what what are some of the um, ways that 
Easter is celebrate or celebrated or the season of Easter, it really has its roots or a lot of liturgical celebrations in the Roman Catholic tradition um, because the Roman Catholics will celebrate Stations of the Cross and, and uh, have parades and festivals. As far as Protestantism, we worship, we have customs and traditions that have, have become associated with Easter. But going back through the millennia, there really aren't um, specific traditions. I mean, you think about Passover, you know, the Last Supper and Passover. It, the first century church was, they were Jewish, and then Gentiles became, you know, Christian. And so there aren't a lot that, that I can that I can point to and say, oh, this was a secular tradition that became, you know, a Christian tradition. So I think so many of our Easter celebrations have been things that are cultural, not necessarily spiritual or religious. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I can't really think of any way in my upbringing, and I grew up in the United Methodist Church, mm -hmm. that we honor the season of Easter. And I, I guess maybe there are specific songs that we sing or some order, but to hear that the entire 50 days starting on Easter Eve um, is the season of Easter, but we don't do anything to uplift that as in our faith tradition seems odd to me. I think what we do is worship. We as Christians, I mean, that is the defining moment in Christianity, so to speak. I mean, we have the birth of Jesus at Christmas, which is the big, you know, to-do, and then Easter. Those are the two um, grounding, pivotal times in, in our uh, faith belief as Jesus in Jesus Christ. And so out of that resurrection, out of that new life, we are to live as Easter people. Um, we're not a one and done. It's not, it's kind of like when you have your birthday, there's a celebration on the day, but then you still are that new, <laughs> that, that new number goes with you through the, through the year and you have changes and you have growth. That's the idea is during Easter tide, we celebrate uh, what Jesus, what Jesus' ministry did, we celebrate in anticipation of, um, as I said, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, the person, the personhood of Jesus and Jesus' teachings, because it's not just, oh, we celebrated Jesus rose from the dead, yay, that's it. That's the beginning of the story, because Jesus poured himself into his disciples into his ministry, and that ministry is propagated through the disciples and then through those persons that believed, came to believe, and through us today, that we are to live as Easter people because life w was forever changed through the act of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, well let's start at the resurrection. Um, the tomb is empty. What do we know scripturally about the different ways Jesus revealed himself to people after the resurrection? And do we know the timeline of like, was Jesus 
with us for two weeks before Ascension, for three months, for two years? Like, what do we, what do we know? Well, let's believe that Jesus, it was 40 days before the Ascension. So after, after the resurrection, when the women came to the tomb and found it empty and the angels were like, hey, he's not here, they're 40 days before the Ascension. Okay. Now, we don't have a lot of um, information. Where was Jesus? Not in the public square, but Jesus would appear. And pretty much in, in each instance, he appeared to people that knew him best. He appeared to, to the women who loved him. He appeared to the disciples. So it was an intimate kind of appearance. I mean, there were, there's 10 accounts uh, in Scripture where Jesus appears. And by and large, it's to those that knew him best but they didn't recognize him. So the the interesting, you know, kind of dichotomy is we're thinking of flesh and bone Jesus with, you know, hair and a beard and skin and bones and people are are confused when they see him. Oh my gosh, is this Jesus until he either speaks, you know, calls someone by name or breaks bread and, you know, celebrates Eucharist and then eyes are opened. So I can't help but think the mystery of the spiritual Jesus is is the point, not the physicality like, oh, told you I'd come back. Mm-hmm. This is my flesh and bones. It's like, hold on. <laughs> this is a new covenant. This is a new this is a new way to be. From here on after, you don't have rabbi, teacher, physical Jesus. You need to get ready for, you know, what the new reality of of my teaching and of Christianity and the faith will be. Mm-hmm. Well, can, so you mentioned there are 10 uh, different accounts of Jesus re- revealing himself. Could you walk us through those? And um, you already mentioned like the significance of um, people didn't recognize him right mm-hmm. away, which is just astounding to right. me. And it is kind of one of those mysterious things. Uh, so could we walk through each of these stories and and talk about the significance of each of these stories of why perhaps if we're pontificating, were right. they included in scripture? Sure. So the first is um, when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, uh, it's list, It's recorded in Mark uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, and in John chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 18. And, and what's also interesting is in each of these, you know, accounts, because several of them happen in more than one of the Gospels, there are little, there's subtle differences. Mm. They're not always exactly the same um, because, you know, if you and I were each describing an event, we would probably highlight different things. Okay. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get her, get him, sorry. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Roboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That's the first account, and then it's recorded in Mark. Yeah, so Mark uh, 16, starting with verse 9, says, Mm -hmm. Now after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went out, which I don't remember that, but... For Mary Magdalene? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping, But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Um, Later, so I guess this is three different appearances in one story. Exactly. Uh, Later, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were sitting at the table and he upbraided them for their lack of faith. Abraded, ab- I don't think I'm reading that word right. Abraded <laughs> them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Him, had risen, and he said to them, "Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Well, also, um, I recorded an episode with Pastor Daniel a few weeks ago where he mentioned that this last bit of Mark was added. It was an addition to Mark. It wasn't original. There is a lot of scholarly debate over did John, I mean, I'm sorry, did Mark actually finish this himself? I mean, how the Bible was canonized and what scriptures, you know, made it and didn't in books and all that are fascinating. So yeah, when you have something that is not necessarily characteristic of the writer to go, "Mm, maybe that's an addendum or maybe one of his scribes or students or, you know, finish this book. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny because I didn't say this as I started reading, but as I was scrolling through the end of Mark in chapter 16, you have the resurrection of Jesus. It's normal, 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 normal. And then there are two different endings. And I'm I'm in the NRSV Mm -hmm. uh, version of scripture. So it has, it's like, choose your path. There's one that the title is the shorter ending of Mark. And it just basically like, so, and then it goes on to the longer ending of Mark, which Mm -hmm. is what I just started reading. Right. And so that's, unusual. Yes. And then, um, but if you skip the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark, it basically ends with the tomb is empty. They fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Uh, and that's the end of the story right. of Mark. Right. Uh, and then it two goes very, into- Two yeah. different accounts with Mark and John of finding the tomb in- empty. Yeah. And, you know, if you listen to the message on Sunday, how, you know, Pastor Daniel said, hey, the, the first sensory church experienced more death and martyrdom 
than any other time in history, but Christianity also grew, you know, exponentially. So of course they were terrified. So this says they're not telling anybody. And then the account in John is like, hey, I'm telling the disciples, but be careful who you tell because (laughs) it can be to your own, yeah, it'll be to your own peril. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay. So that's, so we have Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Yes. And then we have Jesus appears to two disciples on the road and the disciples don't recognize him. Um, And then Jesus shows up uh, to the rest of the disciples in the upper room. So they've taken, Mark took three different appearances and put them in a short couple of verses because Jesus appearing to Cleophas and his companion is Jesus appearing on the road to Emmaus, which also Luke gives the most detail okay. about Jesus's appearances. Mark doesn't. Mark doesn't give us a lot of information. There's no, you know, it, it's just kind of cut and dry. He did this, he did this, and he did this. Whereas Luke gives us a little bit more of the story. Who was there? When did it happen? Not a ton, but I believe that what you just read is uh, Cleophas and his companion on the road to Emmaus. Okay. And then when Jesus appears to the disciples, he actually appeared to the disciples several times. It could have been what he's referring to um, when he appears. There's one time he appears and Thomas is not there. There's another time it's everyone is there, including Thomas. so he's and the this, disciples so, in the large gathering. We don't yeah. know, but he appeared. We know he appeared several more times. So, and these are the stories that I'm most familiar with, right? And maybe because they are repeated in different gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so I'm I'm interested to hear the other appearances. But this is the ones that I know by heart. Of like, okay, Mary Magdalene, yep. and she went and told the disciples. The disciples didn't believe her, and then Jesus went to see the disciples. I knew the two on the road who didn't recognize him. And then I know the story of um, Thomas doubting Thomas, right. not believing, the nail scars. And saying, I need to feel, you <laughs> right. know, the the. But those, and it all feels blurry of like what order all of it is in right. and what's all happening. And those are the only, even though I sound like I'm not even on solid footing with those, yep. those are my best known and understood appearances of Jesus that I hear the most often. So, so what are some of the lesser known appearances? Uh, maybe not by everyone else, but by me. <laughs> no, I think you make a good point because kind of up until resurrection, we think there's a kind of a linear progression where this happens and then this happens and he's betrayed and he, you know. Yeah. But once resurrection happens, it's all kind of muddy and it's cloudy. Garbled, yeah. yeah. And you think of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke and John have the most to say about these. They, they also wrote in a later period. So some of this is what others have have witnessed firsthand, and others, um, writers, are um, basically recording stories that they didn't themselves actually witness. Okay. So Luke, as I said, kind of fleshes out you know, more than the other gospel writers and gives the most detail. Okay, so the second appearance is Jesus appears to Mary. Uh, in Matthew, it says that Jesus appears to the two Marys, mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. Then in Mark, who is also the mother of Jesus, right? Right. James and Jesus are brothers. Correct. Okay. <laughs> then Mark. There's too many Marys to keep too up Too many with. Marys to keep up with. <laughs> then Mark 16, verse 1, it says that Jesus appears to the two Marys plus Salome. So then it's three women 
Then in the book of Luke, in uh, chapter 24, verse 10, it says he appeared to the three, three women, the two Marys, Salome, and others. So it's just real nebulous. So we know that Jesus appeared to a bunch of women, at least two, or maybe 20. Who knows? It just says the three women and others. So each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all say Jesus appeared to women, which I personally love. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that speaks a lot to who Jesus was, that if, you know, just like I read a commentary um, that was saying, Jesus, when when Mary discovered the tomb was empty, had it been a big, strong man, they would have thought, well, he just carried him out and, you know, hid his body. And so we can take issue that Jesus really didn't rise. But but when it was Mary, one who was so intimately um, attached to Jesus and had this relationship with Jesus, her story was more credible to the disciples and to those to whom she told. So I don't know. I think it's fascinating that Jesus appeared to the women first. I think it also says a lot about the women of, you know, they were there. They were there. They were. They weren't on the periphery. No. The, yeah. They weren't hi- They weren't in hiding. No. They weren't. And this was a dangerous time mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the disciples were hiding. They were scared for their lives. Right. They, uh, not to do a men versus women thing. Yes. But, right. But they, they were looking out for themselves and the women went exactly where they would be found mm-hmm. and where um, they wanted to take care of the body and they wanted to exactly. go through the religious mm-hmm. uh, traditions. And it, I mean, uh, my guess is they knew they were in danger going there. They didn't know what could happen. Yes. Um, and so I think that it says a lot about Jesus of who he revealed himself to, but it also says a lot about uh, the women who went to um, a really dangerous place potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's the second. That's the second appearance is to the women. Then Jesus appears to Peter in Luke twenty-four, and it's verse thirty-four, and it's very short, and it only happens in Luke. But it says here, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then the two told what what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So that's the third appearance when when Jesus, it's recorded that he appeared to Simon Peter. But we don't have any detail. Yeah. We don't know what he said or how he appeared. We just know he appeared. So that, that's the third appearance. Then number four is Jesus appears to Cleophas and his companion. That's on the road to Emmaus. So they're walking outside of uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, and it was, I went to the Holy Land. It's been years ago. I know I bring that up a lot because it was meaningful. But I remember that road and just kind of being overwhelmed, just thinking this is just a dusty, and of course, this is, you know, a long time. <laughs> 2,000 years later, but, you know, just a dusty road and, you know, two two men walking along and all of a sudden here comes this deity, <laughs> this man. They don't recognize him. They go a long way with him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later that night. I mean, he's, te- he's talking and he's teaching and, you know, they're forlorn. They're like, oh my gosh, do you not know these things that happen? And he's like, oh, well, tell me. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And so it's not until that night mm-hmm. that he reveals, and, and several of these, you know, these um, accounts, when Jesus does something that only Jesus could do, then they go, 
voila, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. But again, it's that spiritual being versus you look just like, you know, (laughs) my teacher. I also think that sometimes, I mean, the human brain is incredible in its denial and creation of, you know, situations. And so Mm -hmm. if you have a friend that you witnessed firsthand die, and then you're not going to recognize if you see that person on the street, your brain will not let you see that person. And it's kind of like... um, (laughs) the the feeling of um seeing teachers outside of school oh of like you you've never seen so you right. you go out with friends and you see a, a teacher in their like nice going out clothes makeup done hair done whatever right. you might not recognize them right away because it's so outside so of the element that you know them from yeah and that's obviously to a much lesser extent but like you witnessed and saw firsthand what happened to one of your best friends mm-hmm. and you saw him die you saw him buried all of these things you're not going to believe you're going to, I would have thought I was going crazy, Sure, which is what it actually makes a lot of sense to me at the end of the book of Mark, the original ending of (laughs) like, they were scared and said nothing to no one. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm a woman during that time, and I think I've seen someone come back to the dead, come back from the dead. My thought is if I tell anyone, they're going to think I'm insane. Absolutely. They're going to like push me out of town. They're going to tell me I'm crazy, that I have a demon, that I have all whatever it is. Right. Like, it's dangerous for me to share this information with people. And you might doubt yourself and say and convince yourself, no, I that can't be right. I couldn't have seen that. Right. And so when I think of it that way, it makes sense to me that they didn't recognize Jesus because... I just don't think our human brains would allow that. <laughs> That's a good point. And I think when when each of the in each of these appearances, when the person that encounters Jesus gets it, it's because it's personal. Yeah. Because Jesus does or you know calls them by name and he's a stranger, but no he's not a stranger. He does something, he says something that's like, "Oh, wait a minute. Let me step back here." Mm. And then they recognize him. Mm. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so the next is Jesus appears to the disciples minus Thomas. So Thomas is not there, downing Thomas. In Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43, and in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 15. Then Jesus appears to all the disciples, including Thomas. It's also in John chapter 20, but in verses 26 through 29. Then seven of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And let's read that one because that's a, that's a good one. And this is one of those is that this you're the, already going to know. Is this the hmm. breakfast on the beach one that uh, people talk about? Which or is that I a just, different one? Okay. At the Sea of Tiberias. Yes. That with, with the fish. Yeah. Uh, yes. Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish okay. where they bring in 153 fish. I think it's so funny when we get exact numbers. So it's John chapter 21 and it's verses 1 through 23. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. 
but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they... Wait, wait, wait. So wait. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, my brain scrambled. But this was after Jesus had already revealed himself to them two separate times. Two separate times. So this is the third time he's revealing himself Mm -hmm. to the same disciples. Disciples, correct. And they still don't recognize him. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm like, okay, guys. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. They did not realize it was Jesus. That's why I'm thinking he mustn't have had on the same clothing, the same haircut, the same skin and bones, or had to be something different, a spiritual being, Yeah, you know? Okay, he called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I love that. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hmm. So, like you said, twice before, who is this man? Oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. Second time, who is this man? Oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. The third time, still don't see him. So it couldn't have been so obvious. I don't think the man was... It wasn't like Jesus was revealing himself in the same form exactly. every time. Right, right. Yeah. Had to be something. That's some, interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Then the eighth time, the disciples and a large gathering at Galilee. And this is what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17, the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mm. Drop the mic. The Great Commission, that's kind of, you know, that is, that's it. That's encapsulated uh, what we're supposed to do. How many people were there for that one? It just says a large gathering. Okay. Could have been on a mountaintop. It could have been, you know, where, where the Beatitudes were preached. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So that's why I kind of, in my head, it's where he, he uh, the little boy had the fish. Mm-hmm. It's where he did his Sermon on the Mount. That's in my brain, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many mountains were in Galilee. Yeah. Yeah. Then the ascension actually is only in Luke. The ascension, the literal physical ascension of Jesus is, is uh, told in Luke, and the disciples are there too. 
So the disciples, you know, really are, are the ones who have borne witness to all of this. So in Luke chapter 24, and it's verses 50 and 52, uh, when, they had led the, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So this is with the disciples, and, you know, he's teaching, um, and he's saying, you know, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the laws of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. That's when he ascends, and there are people there, disciples, who witness this, but that's the only place. Luke is the only gospel writer that that kind of drills down on on the actual physical ascension of Jesus. Well, and to I heaven. saw that Mark mentioned ascension, mentioned. but that, again, that's in that added piece, according to Bible scholars, mm-hmm. and it does it kind of it doesn't really give any details. No it's details. Just like, and then Jesus ascended, and everyone shared the good news. There's really not any details here. Yeah. But throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, there are references that Jesus is with is with God the Father, that Jesus ascends, that there's spiritual being, you know. Um, but it's interesting that, hey, the, the disciples are here, and only Luke puts it in his gospel account that, no, this is kind of like the last time, so to speak. After this, we don't have any recording. Next is the Holy Spirit that comes, not the physical Jesus, okay. the post-resurrection appearance. And then the last is Pentecost. Uh In Acts. Why is it that this post-resurrection time is so messy and all over the place of like, we don't have alignment in the Gospels. We don't really have a lot of details around what happened. And, And yet everything leading up to the resurrection seems so... Uh, chronological, so factual, very historical, as opposed to it seems rushed after the resurrection of then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, not a lot of detail, you get it, and then he ascended, which to me, it feels like that's a pretty important part of our faith. If we're claiming he is God. And the proof of that is this resurrection. I want to know more about what Jesus was doing and saying after the resurrection, because that it's not just that, like I said, in Easter, the one and done of he's risen. Yay. Celebrate. Right. He's risen. And he revealed himself to all these people and had conversations with all these people and gave once again, a final instruction of go and do as I've done. And, but it's so, so much gray area. Right. Well, think about the time period. As I said, the the first century church really wasn't a church. (laughs) It was a movement. Our whole Lenten series of Jesus as the way, I am the way, the truth, the life, the lamb, the shepherd, the, you know, all of those, it was a movement that was starting. And so it was chaotic. It wasn't tidy. It wasn't like, oh, we're the Protestant Christian church. Yeah. And everything, here's they our sacred... out to create a new religion. No. They were still Jewish people. Right. Practicing their faith 
Exactly. And it was here's a here's some new information. Right. They weren't trying to say, let's start a new religion. Let's start a new church. Let's put people in leadership, like all of these things. Absolutely. That's exactly right. There there was you know, when you think about so many of the religions had numerous deities, numerous gods, you know, pagan gods and and this is all centralized around a person. Jesus, and that was unique, and um, so it was. It was a movement. It was a groundswell. It was people seeing life change, seeing a better way to live and to be. So, as much as Jesus is obviously the central figure for Christianity, it was more than just Jesus and Jesus' resurrection. It was Jesus' teaching. It was abundant life. You know, that's why we, it's such the irony of Jesus didn't come as a king or as a, a prince or in, on a chariot of fire or white horses. Jesus came so humbly. It was like a ground swell, a bottom to top instead of a top to bottom mm-hmm. kind of, of religion. Wouldn't it have been so nice if Jesus? did stay behind to help get the church started. (laughs) Sure. Because I feel like we messed it up in so many ways. And if we could have just had, but again, he was here teaching us before he died of all the ways to be, all of the things to do. And Mm -hmm. we still couldn't do it. So couldn't do it. it Still can't do it all the time. And yeah, yeah, I think that's why, you know, when Jesus is like, golly, just shook his head going, you know, you really don't get it. You you really don't see, you know. Because we can't. Or maybe Jesus wouldn't have started a church at all. He would have just continued mm. doing what he was already doing right. and saying, hey, follow me if follow you want to be a part of this. Right. Um, yep. So you mentioned that the timeline between resurrection and ascension is 40 days. Mm-hmm. How do we know that? Is that somewhere in scripture? It's a it's a it's basically a kind of historical understanding mm-hmm. Um no, not not necessarily. You know, there was forty days is is very biblical, but I don't know exactly. It's just kind of a given. How do we know forty days? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's I've just I, always known that. Well, that I've never heard that before. So you saying that was the first time I'd heard an absolute number, um, and I with the it all being so chaotic and just all over the place. That's where I was wondering is like, okay, were all of these uh, appearances of Jesus, like I said at the beginning, did these happen within two weeks, within five days, within, you know, Acts one through three, Jesus chapter Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. verse three. Okay. So in Acts one, I'm just going to start with verse one. This Mm -hmm. is the promise of the Holy spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so Acts actually talks Mm -hmm. about the ascension of Jesus, too. Because then in verse 6, it said... 
Uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's a little more detail. In Acts. Yeah, in Acts. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who had been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. I'm very confused by this. Well, Luke wrote Acts, and Luke was the one who chronicled the the ascension in Luke 24, and then then it's a retelling by Luke of what happened at the Ascension with more detail because we got precious little in Luke chapter 24. Mm-hmm. So then at the establishment of the, the church in Pentecost, then there's basically a, a fuller description of Ascension. And then, um, so is this also the first mention of that Jesus is coming back? Because... So it's it says I during don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. I I'm, <laughs> I'm not going out. A lot at you yeah, today, I'm not sure. So because it it says while Jesus was ascending, two men in white robes stood beside the apostles who were there and they said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven." So he's basically like you see him being raised up in a cloud, and he's going to come back the same way you just saw him ascend. Okay. I, I'm chuckling because okay. when I years ago when I was in college, I had a composition project I had to do, and I used that scripture, for, and I wrote a song about Jesus' the second coming. It was horrible. It was really, <laughs> really and bad. But I used that scripture, and I'm just remembering. And I hadn't thought about that. Sing in your, that to us it was right now. <laughs> horrible. It was horrible. It was a paraphrase of that scripture about Jesus coming down in the clouds and just as he ascended and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, but I think. All of this, chaotic is a really good word to describe. And I think that this is all a really fascinating example. Uh, It's an inside look into how disorganized and scary and, and unnerving this time must have been. I feel like we're reading this and... And it doesn't really make sense. The puzzle pieces are I'm having trouble putting together. Imagine what the people of the time were feeling and experiencing and not understanding what was happening around them and not knowing the end of the story and what's next and what how how are we going to do this and are people going to kill us and you know all of this stuff going on. And there wasn't social media and there wasn't television or radio and only the educated. Yeah. (laughs) The the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you know, could read. And they were absolutely not having it. No. No, so the way that's what that's part of the miracle of the propagation of of Christianity was because it was organic. It was word of mouth. It was I'm going to share with you my experience because I don't know about your experience in another town because mm-hmm. I don't I can't see you. I don't you know the world uh 
wasn't we didn't have a world view. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's part of the miracle of of the Christian faith. But to your point, as we're reading these gospel writers and we're reading about the creation of the church and acts and things, it's not a novel. Mm-hmm. The Bible, as you know, when you say the pieces kind of coming together, we have to take it all contextually, realizing what was ha- what was this gospel writing tr- writer trying to tell us, and when did they live, and what did they see, and then throughout the throughout the rest of the New Testament people um, sharing what they they heard was true and bearing witness to it. So it's not, you know, day one, day two, day three, this this month, next month, this year, next month. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. something that grabbed attention, something that was worth retelling and sharing and putting down in, in sacred writings. So, yeah, I'm not good with numbers. I'm not good with math. I always have to look up because I just... I, I think I know two phone numbers, mine and my husband's, that's it, in the church. <laughs> but I, when we kind of p- put this together and go, oh, now this makes sense why this person was scared or confused or this happened after that, because like you said, we know stories and we know the big stuff, you know, the conversion of, of Paul. Mm-hmm. But chronologically, I have to remind myself, oh, wait a minute, this came after this, not before. Yeah. So I feel like maybe... Chaos is the answer to this question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and this is just your opinion. Why Why do you think we don't spend a lot of time on the appearances of Jesus and the ascension as a church? Well, maybe maybe because we, we believe in, in the man, the personhood of Jesus, you know, God made flesh. And then when Jesus comes back, it's just more of a kind of a punctuation. Hey, I told you it was real. I told you I was going to do this. It's the fulfilling of prophecy and basically validation that what Jesus said and what the prophets foretold has come true, that it's not just a fairy tale or a story. Why don't we spend more time on it? That's a good question. We don't have a lot. I mean, we don't have a lot of um, information, so to speak. We know to whom he appeared and what happened, and their faith was basically affirmed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this is exactly what he said, but I didn't understand it. When he told all, me all these things, just like when Jesus broke the bread at Last Supper, they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until much later, and 2,000 years later, we're like, oh, we're communing with Christ, past present and future. So so, sometimes I think it's like looking back in a rear view mirror and going, oh, that's where God was. Mm -hmm. That's where, that's where Jesus was working. I didn't see it at the time. So for my faith, it's just kind of, yeah, if they didn't get it, a little bit of grace, like, oh, wow. But when I look back at my life or I look back at circumstances, that really was Jesus. That was a God moment. And I I missed it, but I get it now. God, you know, I, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe 2,000 years from now, if humanity still exists on this planet, <laughs> well, it's a toss-up, yeah. but um, they'll look back on us and be like, oh, boy, they didn't get it. Right. <laughs> yeah. They didn't get it. Yeah. Um, I... 
I do think uh, we have a tendency to jump straight from the resurrection to the first church. And I think it's part of us like we crave organization. Absolutely. We want to know the exact answers to things. Mm-hmm. And so we see the first church being created and we're like, oh, yay, finally some rules. <laughs> yeah, know? right. And, and creeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some order to this chaos. Uh, but I think maybe there's something interesting in the season of Easter to be willing to sit in chaos mm-hmm. and to, um, I don't even know what that would look like yeah. in, as a church for us to say, we're going to, for the next 40 days after Easter, <laughs> sit in mystery and chaos and have no idea what's going on and what like God is unfolding around us. And I think it's kind of like, it makes me think of, uh, the chaos within spring of Mm -hmm. like you at my house, you know, when I sit on my front patio, I have this beautiful view of like the woods and the trees and plants and, and all sorts of stuff surrounding my home. And there's this time between winter and spring where you can see little buds starting to form and like things that looked dead are suddenly coming back to life. And it feels kind of chaotic at some points of like things are coming in randomly Mm -hmm. and some weeds will pop up and then they'll go away and then some flowers pop up and then they go away, but then they come back and it's, it's all over the place. And so maybe that's what the season of Easter is supposed to feel like is like just letting the chaos of Christ wash over you uh, and and be willing to not have answers. Well, when you're talking about how you know chaotic, I immediately went to in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus was there yeah. at the beginning in Gen- Genesis. So our whole conversation has been when Jesus, those last weeks, you know, leading up to crucifixion, then his resurrection, those 40 days where he was like, told you disciples, hey, it's me. I wasn't kidding. All this is true. Now I'm going to go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Jesus is still here. Yeah. There's no less Jesus. We just, the physical human, you know, flesh and bones Jesus was for a short time. Yeah. Was it 32 years? And so that's that's kind of, like we said, the crux of our Christian faith, a Christ follower, but Jesus was from the very beginning. And even when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus didn't go away. Jesus is still with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so our Christology was kind of formed at that, you know, began at that point. But when you're saying, how come we don't talk more about that, I just think because it's kind of the story isn't over. (laughs) We're still in the story. We can look back and have clarity on things that we were confused about, perhaps. Or maybe we think we have clarity. Or maybe so. Right. (laughs) Right. But I and so when I when I say chaos, I don't want us to put like our our human understanding of chaos because in no not in a bad way. Yeah, in no way am I thinking of it as a negative thing. Like there's something exciting about chaos. I think of like atoms forming and Mm -hmm. clashing together, and and protons and neutrons and all Mm -hmm. of the science of it, and like the rapid movement of uh, matter. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And yet God pulls it all together. Right. There's order in the chaos. Yes. But to our minds, it's chaotic because we don't understand it. 
Yeah. It cannot be explained by our limited, you know, intellect, but we know that God is is in it and working all things yeah. for our good. Well, hey guys, uh, enjoy the chaos of this <laughs> Easter season. Uh, I hope you all experience some joy and excitement and uh, all of the things that that Easter brings and uh, dive into those gray areas a yes. little bit in scripture and right. maybe read through those appearances yourself this week, read through the little bit of information we have around the ascension of Christ and sit with it and ponder it. And, and cause I do wonder with things like this, what, what is God trying to teach us with this, these stories of like, I feel like with the parables, it's very clear with the ministry of Jesus. It's very clear uh, what we're, we're, what God is trying to teach us. But then the elements like this that are thrown in, I'm just like, oh, wow. But God ha- always has used the abstract. Yeah. You know, even in Jesus's teaching, to your point about parables, they weren't obvious. That's true. They weren't obvious. It's like, what? We're still debating this is the, them. We're still debating. This mean. means this, yeah. and this is the greater truth. Don't get stuck on the literal because it's the, the greater truth that we're trying to understand, the heart of God, what it means to be a faithful believer. So, yeah, I mean, like that's what I'm saying. When we kind of look back and we go, oh, okay, now I, I think I understand this. But the more we know, or at least for myself, the more I think I know, oh, man, God just gives me a big dose of humility, just like me getting all confused. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, wait, did that happen before or after? Wait a minute. It's so easy for for me especially, but um, to go, wow, okay, there are things that I need to know and read and and marinate in, but things can be messy. And so what is the deeper truth? What is the meaning? What, What is it that God is trying to reveal? Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. We are Easter people. Let's move forward. And uh, Karen, thank you so much for joining me on this difficult conversation (laughs) (laughs) with limited information. Yes. (laughs) As usual. Uh, Thanks again. Thank you. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.